This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. All right. Pull your notes out for today's message. I've been doing a series this summer. I've called Lessons from the Old Testament. I think it's important that we know the stories of the Old Testament because they do teach us important lessons. And today, we've been kind of looking in the past, up, up until now, in the book of Judges. Every message has come out of the book of Judges. I've never preached much from the book of Judges before, and it's really been interesting to see what truths we can learn that apply to 2016 out of the book of Judges. Well, today we're moving out of the book of Judges. We're going to be looking into the life of a, of a woman by the name of Ruth, and you'll find her story not in the book of Judges, but it takes place during the time of the Judges, and I'll explain that to you uh, in just a, a little bit. But we find her story given to us in the four chapters of the book that bears her name, the Old Testament book of Ruth. I'm not going to take time to read the entire uh, four chapters to you, but I do want to kind of tell you the story so you get the background of the principles that we're going to share with you this morning upon which you can build your life. Ruth chapter 1, verse number 1 tells us when her story took place and the circumstances that affected her life greatly. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. So let me just set the stage for you even a little bit more. The time of the judges in Israel's history was a time when Israel repeated a devastating spiritual cycle. And I have lived long enough to see that we still do it today. It's unfortunate. It's what was happening to the nation during this time. Over and over again, they would go from heavy commitment to the Lord, what we might call revival, to an apathy about their relationship with the Lord, to eventually apostasy, in other words, falling away from their covenant to the Lord, and, and then they would put them in bondage to foreign nations, which would cause them to cry out to God for deliverance. So you had this, this circle of life kind of going on with them of revival to apathy to apostasy to bondage to revival to apathy to apostasy to bondage over and over again. That's what the book of Judges is teaching us. Now, the reason this was happening is given in Judges 17, verse 6. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And you will make a huge mistake if you think that what Israel needed was a human king. It's not really saying here that what Israel needed was a king, a human king. What they needed was full commitment to the true king of Israel, who was the Lord God, Jehovah Almighty. And what we see in their history is that they served him as long as that relationship was a, a convenient relationship, as long as it was a, a relationship that blessed them, didn't demand much of them, and so forth. But when it no longer was convenient, when it, when it no longer was satisfying to them, they took upon themselves, they didn't go to no worship at all, 
They went to worshiping other gods, the gods of the nations around them, and they actually took upon themselves the idols of these other nations and worshiped the same idols that these pagan nations that God had driven out of the land were worshiping. It's the oddest thing. And of course, that led them to bondage, led them to a lot of suffering because God lifted his favor off of their life that exposed them then to all this violence coming in against them as a nation from foreign countries, a lot of suffering, and in their suffering, they would cry out to God. Judges chapter 10, verse 16 tells us that the Israelites would then get rid of the idols, these foreign gods, and they would begin worshiping the true God, the Lord only, and then finally, the heart of God would be touched by this, he would no longer be able to stand their suffering, and so he would send to them uh, what were called judges. These judges were not kings, they were leaders. They influenced the nation for good. Some of them served a long time, some of them served a short amount of time. But they were judges over the country, some were men, some were women, and through the judges, God would bring deliverance to Israel. And it was during this time of this cycle from, from revival to apathy to apostasy and bondage and round and around the, it goes. It was during this particular time in Israel's history that the story of Ruth takes place. Now, let me give you a story. In chapter 1, verse 1, we are told that there was a severe famine in the land, the land of Israel, because of their apostasy again. So the blessings of God were lifted off of the land. Severe famine comes to the land. And a man from Bethlehem by the name of Elimelech took his wife and two sons to the country of Moab to escape this famine. Now, what I want you to understand is this was not the will of God for Elimelech and his family. Elimelech did what he thought was right, but he didn't seek God's direction. In fact, the word of God was quite clear, the law of God, that he was not to do what he did. But he followed his own thinking and his own rationale, and he went off to Moab. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, the apostle Paul tells us that we are, as Christians, to walk by faith, not by sight. Sometimes what seems to be the right thing to do will not be the right thing to do. It seems logical, it seems the right thing, but it will be absolutely contrary to God's will for your life. Elimelech was doing the opposite of that scripture. He was walking by sight, not by faith, not by the law of God. He didn't wait for God to tell him what to do. He made the decision himself, and it brought a boatload of problems to his family. And it was, interestingly, his wife and his sons who suffered for it. I hope that you can apply this to your life because this isn't just something that happened to them. This happens every day to Christians all across America who are doing their thing, what they think is right, instead of seeking the will of God. And because of it, they are suffering what they don't need to be suffering if they would simply follow God's will. They end up making wrong choices, and they are left with the pain that that brings. Well, in Moab, Elimelech dies. 
leaving only his wife Naomi and her two sons. Well, in time, skipping forward, her sons grow up and they married two Moabite young women. Again, they were not to marry outside the faith. The law of God was very clear about that, but, but here they are compromising themselves in Moab and naturally the boys find girls there and they marry these two Moabite girls, girls who are not of the faith. The one girl's name is Orpha and the second is Ruth. And again, tragedy hits Naomi because in time, both of her sons die, leaving her now a widow with only two daughters-in-law who are also widows of her sons. In time, the famine that drove them to Moab is lifted and Naomi decides that she is going to go back home where she belongs. And so she tells her two daughters-in-law, I'm going back home. The harvest is good there again. God's blessing is back on the nation. I'm going back home. You need to go back to your families and find new husbands to take the place of my sons. Well, one daughter liked the advice and she followed Naomi's advice, but the Bible says that Ruth held onto Naomi, held onto Naomi. The Hebrew word we translate here, held, means to cleave or to follow hard after, to hold fast to, to abide with. In other words, it gives us the idea that Naomi had become much more than just a, an average mother-in-law to Ruth. Ruth's heart was bonded to Naomi. It may have to do with Naomi's love and care for her during the time of her husband's death. It may have to do with Naomi's faith that her faith and what she revealed about the love and the covenant of the Lord God, the true Lord, the true God, appealed to Ruth and drew Ruth, Ruth to want to know more and be a part of all of this. Whatever the reason, Ruth was staying with Naomi. She was going to a foreign people, she was going to a foreign faith, and she was going to foreign customs. And it's at this point in the story that Ruth makes one of the most fantastic statements of faith of anybody. It, it, it's, it has so touched me that I have used it over and over again in wedding ceremonies that I've performed through the years. It's verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1, where Ruth says, Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. In other words, she's saying, I am fully committed to the truth that you live, the truth that you declare. I am fully committed to the life that you live, Naomi. I am not leaving you. I am following you wherever you go. And so Naomi took Ruth with her back to Bethlehem. They made it back to Bethlehem, but they were destitute. Sometimes we get this idea that if we get, just get back into God's will, that everything will just suddenly, boom, everything's just great. They got back to Bethlehem. They got back where Naomi should have been all along, but everything wasn't great, not right at first. They were destitute. In fact, they were severely destitute, but it was harvest time. And as was the custom of, of, that, of that time, the harvesters, when they would go out to glean or to pick the crop, 
they would not harvest the edges of the field or the corners of the field. They would leave they would leave some of the crop at the corners, some of it at the edges for the poor to come in and, and glean so that they could have something to eat. And so they would leave these parts for them to harvest. So Ruth goes out to harvest the leftovers and she just happens, I, I say she just happens upon the field of a man by the name of Boaz. Now, he was both a very influential man in the community and very wealthy. He owned a lot of fields. And as it turned out, he's a relative of Naomi. She doesn't know this when she goes into this field, but she finds out he's a relative of Naomi. So when Boaz saw Ruth out there gleaning the crop, he's obviously instantly attracted to her. Even in that sweaty job, she was a good-looking chick. <laughs> and she caught his eye immediately. And he goes to her, he offers that she should continue to harvest in his field. Hey, stay in my field. And he says, if you do, if you come back day after day, my hired hands will keep you safe. No harm will come to you. In fact, then Boaz goes to his hired hands and says, you see that gal right over there? I want you to leave some handfuls on purpose of the crop so that she can gather up even more. She'll think you just missed it, but you're doing it on purpose so that she can have even greater harvest. So Ruth is absolutely overjoyed about what has happened. She goes back home, tells Naomi about all that had happened to her that day and, and realizing that Boaz is a close relative of the family, Naomi now tells Ruth, I want you to go right back to that same field. You do exactly what he said. You go back only to his fields and let's see what happens. Well, things went very well between Boaz and Ruth. So one day, Naomi told Ruth, I want you to go back to Boaz's field. Only this time, I want you to go with your hair all curled with a curling iron. <laughs> and, and, and I want you to put the best you have on, and I want you to perfume all up. I want you to smell really good. You know, women have always known how to attract the men thereafter. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. Long story short, Boaz fell head over heels in love with Ruth, and after some finagling, works it all out that he can go ahead and marry her under Jewish law. So here Ruth goes from the poverty of Moab to the extreme poverty of Bethlehem to the wealth and the love of the household of Boaz. What a story of love and redemption and God's provision. And not only for Ruth, but for Naomi too, because she was brought right along into the blessing of it all. But I'm going to fast forward to the end of the story because this is the most exciting part of this whole story to me. And it's right at the very end. Found in chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, which reads, This is the genealogical record of their ancestor Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Minadab. Minadab was the father of Nation. Nation was the father of Solomon. Solomon was the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed was, Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father 
of David, King David. Now you say, how can a genealogical record be so exciting? How can that be exciting to you? It's exciting because if you continue down the, the ancestral line from David, you come to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. What I'm telling you is this big blunder, this big mess that was created by Elimelech taking his family down to Moab, God took the broken pieces out of all of that and he made something so beautiful that Jesus Christ came out of Ruth. He came from her lineage. Isn't that marvelous? And so we stop and you think, God, what, what do you want to teach me about life out of Ruth's story? Three thoughts came to my mind and I want to give them to you quickly. Number one, God's way may not seem like the way out. It may not seem like the right way. It may seem like God doesn't get it. It may seem like he doesn't fully understand. Have you ever been there? Have you ever wondered if God knows what he's doing with you? Now, you may not admit it out loud because, you know, people would, would stare at you strangely if you did. If you said, I'm not sure God knows what he's doing in my situation. But way down deep in your heart, have you ever wondered if God knows what you're going through, if he has a plan for your life? You probably have. Israel wondered the same thing. So God reminded them a truth that you and I need to know really well. It comes from Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, where he says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. My ways are beyond, far beyond anything that you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The way out for Elimelech and Naomi was not to run off to Moab. That's what they did. In fact, from Jewish law, it was, a, it was a direct violation of God's will for them. God wanted Elimelech and Naomi and the family to know that they could trust him, that he would take care of them. If they, if they bonded to him, if they followed him with all of their heart, he would take care of them even in the midst of a famine. Folks, I think the truth is still the same. You can trust God with your life no matter what you're going through. Never compromise your will over God's will for your life. Never, never say, I want to, I'm going to do it my way. I know what God says, but I'm going to do it my way. Don't do that because you bring disaster upon yourself. But if you will commit fully to the plan of God for your life, whatever you're going through, if you will seek him fully. Elimelech and Naomi ran off to Moab anyway. Well, at least Elimelech drugged the rest of the family there. I don't know. But after nearly everything fell apart in Moab, Naomi decided to return to Israel only to find that Ruth wanted to go with her. And she didn't need the baggage. She didn't need another mouth to feed. She's destitute. She's going into extreme poverty. I have nothing back there. I don't, don't come with me, Ruth. But Ruth says, your God will be my God and your people will be my people and I am going with you. And so she, she decided to allow it. And because of her allowing something that she didn't in, the, in her own thinking want to do, the lineage of the Messiah was established. Isn't it amazing how God can take our worst failures and turn them into his greatest victories? 
I think that Naomi and Ruth are perfect examples of, of Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where the Apostle Paul says that we can know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God, and they're called according to his purpose for them. So here's what you and I have got to learn. Don't assume that you know it all. Don't assume that you've got it all figured out. Don't assume that your way is better than God's way, that your ideas are better than God's ideas. God's way may not seem the best, but the truth is God will always lead his people into triumph if we follow him, if we trust him, and if we obey him. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thanks be to God who in Christ, what? Always leads us into triumphal procession. We are always in triumph when we follow the Lord. Number two, the most terrible circumstances can produce the greatest results. How can anything good come out of this? For Naomi, she lost her husband and her two sons. How can anything good come out of that? For Ruth, she lost her husband. Did all of this happen because they had because Naomi was out of God's will and, and going into Moab in the first place? I have no idea. What I do know is that terrible pain came upon them in that situation uh, the loss of family, the loss of loved, loved ones. There was nothing good that was coming out of this from what they could see, but God still took care of them. This is what I want you to understand. Just, be, just because some tragedy has come into your family, just because you have committed some, some terrible failure doesn't mean that God is finished with you. It doesn't mean that God has given up on you. Some of the greatest failures in the world were people that God used to the greatest degree. Look at Moses. He was a murderer. Look at Samson. He visited prostitute, a prostitute. David committed adultery and murder. Peter denied the Lord three times. Paul hunted down God's people and persecuted his followers unto death. Yet every one of these men were greatly used of the Lord to expand the kingdom of God in their generation. And it is the same for you and me. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, we are like clay jars in which this treasure, he's talking about the treasure of the gospel, is stored. The real power comes from God. It's not from us. It's not us pulling it off. It's not us being so great. The real power comes from God. I may be a failure. I may have failed. In fact, I will tell you, I have failed. I may not have lived up to the way I should have lived up all my life. I will tell you, I will admit that. But what I can say is God never gives up on his people when we come to him and say, Lord, I'm ready to be used. Now, that doesn't mean that you can act any old way you want and expect that God will still use you, but it is to say that even if you fail, God is able to redeem that situation and make something beautiful out of it. The victory for Naomi and Ruth is obvious now. We, we can read the end of the story. We see it, but at the time, it wasn't. It wasn't obvious to them. Maybe that's where you're at right now in your life. What you're facing may seem like, like a tragedy with no way out. Your emotions are broken. Your heart is devastated. It seems like there's no way out. You look to the future and it feels like there's no hope. 
I'm simply asking you today to trust your God. A few years ago, a Christian singing artist by the name of Don Moen received word that his brother-in-law and his sister-in-law and their four children were involved in a horrific car accident coming back from the ski slopes of Colorado, driving back to Oklahoma. An 18-wheeler hit their car and just devastated the car and threw the occupants out. It was back in the 90s, I believe, maybe the 80s, late 80s. In the, in the tragedy of that moment, his brother-in-law, who was a paramedic, when he came to his senses, went around trying to find his children. He found three of them fairly close together. They were, they were hurt. They were in pain. They were, they were broken, but, but they were alive. But the fourth child they couldn't find, they could find. They, in the darkness of the night, they looked and looked trying to find the child. And finally, they found the fourth child. And he was up against the fence row with his neck broken, and he was dead. And he said, the Holy Spirit spoke to that paramedic father and said, your son is with me, tend to the broken. And he went back and he cared for his three children and his wife who had all been terribly hurt. When word came to Don Moen about what had happened to his brother-in-law, sister-in-law, the children, of course, he and his wife were just devastated by the news. They're so brokenhearted. And he, go, he went to the Lord in deep prayer and he as he's crying out to God, as a Christian artist, singing artist, the Lord gave him a song, and the Lord gave him this song, and he said, I want you to share this song with these parents. And these are the words, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. God will make a way for me. He will be my guide, hold me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new day, God will make a way. God will make a way. In the 1990s, that became one of the, the most premier Christian songs that we sang in many of our churches. You know, sometimes we sing songs and we have no idea the trial or the pain or the tragedy that's behind the writing of the song. We see the powerful truth and we think somebody just sat down and wrote it. And when we know what's behind it, we find out sometimes the greatest tragedy becomes the, the fertile ground for the greatest victories. Moses, the murderer I talked about, he became Moses the deliverer. Samson the compromiser became Samson the strong man over the Philistines. David the adulterer and murderer became David a man after God's own heart and the greatest of Israel's kings. Peter the denier became Peter the great apostle to the Jews. And Paul the persecutor of Christians became Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles and the author of most of the New Testament. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. Naomi and Ruth prove that. I want to encourage you to trust him. And lastly, I just want to give you this, this thought. God directs the details of our lives. He knows them. 
and he directs them. When you give your life to Jesus, you give him not only your past sin, but you give him your future as well. If you follow him, he'll set you up for blessings. Not every part of the plan of God is an easy thing. Not, it won't necessarily even be fun. There are some hard parts to the plan of God. But in the end, the pieces will produce a beautiful picture. I, I think Ruth could have probably never believed how her story would have ended. In fact, she died before Jesus was born. And can you imagine in, in heaven, she finds out about the plan of God to send Jesus, the Messiah, to the world to be the Savior? And she starts putting two to two together and, and finds out, hey, he's coming from me. He's coming from me in Boaz. I can't believe this. Here I was, this Moabite girl growing up in a heathen world who knew nothing about the love and grace of God. And now, in heaven, she finds out she's one of the ancestors of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Can you imagine what joy must have come to her heart in that moment? If you think that your life is too far gone or your situation is beyond fixing, I am here to tell you this morning, if you will give your life to Jesus, all of it, he will take the broken pieces of your life and he will make something beautiful. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.